are the unfairer sex, four women, four glasses of wine, and a whole world of problems to navigate. Yes, there's going to be some rage, but there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing, learning, catharsis, and camaraderie along the way. So grab a glass of wine and join us. So welcome to this week's episode. Uh, we have for our sorry, what did you say moment, we actually have an update on a sorry, what did you say that we discussed a few weeks ago. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Ali to fill you in. Hello. Uh, so if you've been on this journey with us now, we're on episode eight and I can't remember quite when this story first came up, but um, the kind of high level of it, I was umpiring a hockey game. During the hockey game, um, it was reported to me that a player had um, called me a fucking see you next Tuesday and had also um, questioned or he said that um, she must be shit in bed. At the time, I um, I didn't know what to do in that very moment, went away and then I actually put in a formal complaint to England Hockey um, and then obviously by that to the club. I received it took a month for a, a response to come through, but that response came through um, earlier this week. And what I would like to do is just read out parts of that. So again, I just want to remind listeners that I don't in any way think that this is it's a shit situation, but like people deal with so much worse. And it, it, like what I find super interesting is just a really small window of a sexual complaint kind of going through. And it's already been two months. Um, and this is the response I got. Um, from that so this is I actually got two responses one was from the player himself and the other one was a summary um, of a conversation that the club had had with the player so what I'm about to read comes from that second letter so what's come back is saying that uh, my statement was factually incorrect um, and some of the stuff that I referenced was in the second half not the first half um, they also then refer so I had to get a signed statement by the person who had told me the facts on the day um, they draw that in as well, saying that uh, the reported use of sexualized comments about myself um, are caragotically denied. Um, they caragotically deny these false allegations and will support our player down whatever legal route our player wishes to pursue. The third point of this was the complaint is based solely on the word of an individual who was involved in a heated verbal exchange with the, um, with the other player. We think this individual is equally accountable. And although he is the fiance of myself, we feel that these allegations are unbalanced and vindictive. The fourth bullet was we understand that the complainant tried to contact the club via an Instagram story, which is absolutely true. Uh, but this was not an appropriate way of contacting the club to raise a matter of this importance. And the fifth was we find it disappointing the umpires question the player's respect for any umpire, given that she did not hear any insult and she is believing the view of the opposition player. They then close the letter saying we are deeply concerned as a club regarding the way this allegation has targeted an individual from our club with such inaccuracy. We hope that this matter will be dealt with swiftly so our player can move on from this traumatic experience signed by the club. I did just, I, I, there was a bit that you said there about a legal route. Is this suggestion that he might issue some kind of proceedings or something? Because that is, I, I, I think what is really disappointing is that they've turned the whole thing round to make it that the male player is the victim and that it's traumatic for him. And how dare you report this? You've done all the right things. You've submitted all the right forms and you've got, I mean, it doesn't matter about the relationship that you have with the person who heard it. Are they saying that it's less accurate because you guys are close? That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. They're saying right. That, uh, that basically um, his evidence isn't to be trusted. 
And also yeah. that surely, actually, I think most people, if they're close to someone, might actually be more likely to hide that from that person mm-hmm. as to not upset them. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it, the idea that he's traumatised, what a load of nonsense. It, but it is such a textbook response. I mean, let's go back, certainly pre-Weinstein, right? It is such a textbook response which is, of course, categorically deny. I mean, just that story this week about the the DJ. That's that's always mm. what men in this position do. So that's as much as disappointing <clears throat> as that is. Mm. I guess we shouldn't be shocked. And then and then the threatening, the threatening also. You know, I mean, there was that whole thing about, you know, the ridiculous MDAs, sorry, NDAs, non disclosure agreements, that victims of sexual, um, sexual harassment and and, and assault and rape you know, were, were um, pressured into signing. And these are just the classic tactics. Uh, mm. What's really disappointing is that the the club, because you'd expect it from the guy himself, or at least I wouldn't be surprised, someone who can say something like that. Um, you know, you'd hope that he'd then turn around and say, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry, but but it's not surprising. But the attitude of the club in in 2022, that's the bit that really disappoints me, that they haven't learned anything. I think it's a disgusting attitude of the club and it's the kind of response that someone is given when they they haven't really thought about what's going on they haven't really thought about what they're looking for or what you're looking for which is really an apology the player obviously is in an uncomfortable position because he's suddenly been outed for doing something which I suspect everyone in the club goes oh yeah that's typical bill like they probably know that that's his kind of character and now they're just trying to cover their ass in case and mm-hmm. all of this stuff in in the media someone's just chucked in a line that's like oh and any legal ramifications he wishes to bring and it's just so unhelpful it doesn't make you feel any better out of interest what was the gist of the letter from the player also sorry before you answer that I love the bit where they're saying no there are inaccuracies in here I mean either you didn't call her a c-u-n-t and you didn't say that stuff but you can't go no 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 that was in the first half oh but what I mean is I didn't call her that at all well hold on also I mean it, it relevance right what is the relevance to this whether it was the first half or the second half when you have to make those arguments when you have to attack the other side's evidence mm. at that level it means mm. you don't have a case you know that's that's taking a bad point as yeah, we yeah. would say right it reminds me side. it reminds me of blackadder when they're in that trial and he goes i did not eat that delicious plump pigeon you're like well, hold on a minute <laughs> <laughs> um so, Anne Reid, uh, to your question, again, I'm not going to read all of the other letter, but yeah, some of the stuff that they were contesting was the timings of when it happened or like certain incidences. And I just, I think what's super interesting is I feel I had to be as factual as I possibly could be. I tried to keep emotion out of my first report because I didn't want this, right? I wanted to be as clear as I possibly could and not throw stuff in. Whereas, again, little bits of this, this guy's reply. Following our verbal exchange, he went away to say something to the, uh, the umpire. At the other end of the pitch, when he returned from his conversation with the umpire, he told me, well, that's your card marked then. I recall telling him to fuck off as he repeatedly been targeting me and trying to wind me up to get a reaction. I was like, okay, right, so you, you remember all this. You remember clearly being, you know, in a heated discussion and, and you know, telling the other player to fuck off. Um, this this next bit. So furthermore, I've been accused of a lack of respect for any umpire and sexualization of a female umpire. I strongly refute these claims as in the last five years, I have not received a single card for any disciplinary incident and have never made any sexualized comments. Oh, well, I guess, you know, it, then it's never happened ever. Like, oh, this is this is the argument. Well, I've got black friends, so I can't be racist. Like, I, I... And also, there's not a first time for everything. 
if it yeah. hasn't already happened, then this couldn't be the first time it happened. Yeah. It's you know, just, therefore, it, yeah. And the thing is, is actually, he could have said, I, I don't remember what I said in the heat in the moment. I, I could have said anything and I'm sorry. And that probably would have been enough. He's not admitting it, and but he's apologising if he did. And it's not perfect, but in, you know, we might come to this, but in sports, things do get heated. And sometimes you say things you don't mean. And sometimes it's easy to attack the thing that is going to hurt most. And, mm. and that's not right, but it happens. And he could have just said, sorry, and, and let, and that be it. But, and I'm sure we're going to cover this in this week's episode. This is one of the things that is going to stop women from umpiring and being involved in sports that when yep. they report something, um, and yeah, when they report something, it's then like, oh no, you're going to have legal action taken against you because uh, you're the one that's lied about this or reported it inaccurately. And so why would women be encouraged to be umpires for men's game, be involved in coaching, be involved in anything when this is the kind of re- response you get? And the second thing is, for anyone who's not involved in like team sports, one of the things that I find as an umpire is I am far more harsh on the people I know. And and I've umpired for my own team because there's been, we've, we've had like a shortage of umpires and you are far more harsh because you don't want to be called up for being biased. So the idea that you would be more lenient on your partner is bonkers. But, but that's I mean, irrelevant. Of that's course irrelevant. it is. I just want to kind of highlight it. A, you know, no, I don't even, yeah, it doesn't justify any conduct, even if Ellie were really biased. <laughs> It still doesn't justify those sorts of statements. I'd just like to remind us all that after going after Amber Heard in the UK and losing spectacularly, Johnny Depp is now pursuing her again in the US. I think that's the right way around, right? It's his it's his claim and then she's countersued. And the media articles that have been coming out, they're still so oh, they're still so sexist. It's still so old school. Just in the um, the implications, you know, the way that the way that the headlines are written. Um, so <clears throat> I think in that sense, you know, the way that that sort of playbook of being defensive and threatening, threatening action. How dare you know? He's a good man. How dare she? How dare she besmirch his character? You know, that is classic. The other thing I just wanted to re- refer to is. There was that case in January, February this year in Scotland where the something Raiders, um, the sorry, the Wraith Rovers signed a player who um, a woman had accused him of raping her some years ago. Criminal case, can't remember if it, if it never got to trial, never whether the police never pursued it or whether there was no conviction. Anyway, she felt entirely let down by the criminal justice system. So she pursued a civil case and she won. And then after that, these Wraith Rovers signed him. And first of all, when they were getting uh, um, criticism from their, their own fans, right, you know, members of their club, their initial response was to say that um, while acknowledging the gravity of what happened 10 years ago, that's the rape, as a club, we fully support and encourage rehabilitation and some and many factors influenced our signing. But first and foremost, this was a football-related decision. 
And that's what they tried to do, which you also get in sports. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more. And, and, and not only in relation to appalling behaviour by men against women, but, you know, like, like if you think about apartheid and how the world was divided on whether to, you know, shamefully New Zealand allowed the Springboks to come and play during that period when other countries wouldn't let them in. Um, but there is this whole thing in sport, which is that the player's behaviour doesn't matter. The player's integrity uh, off the field has nothing to do with this. Anyway, they reversed their position within a few days because mm. of the, the public outrage and then they they fired him. But the fact that, you know, that's what they tried to hide behind and, and, they, and that has worked. That has worked up until now. That mm. has worked throughout the whole of the 20th century. Say, oh, yeah, but this is about sport. doesn't matter if he hits his wife. So interestingly, um, in the reply that I got from the player, um, he mentioned that I went and apologised to him. And I, I surely wouldn't have apologised to him had uh, these comments been made. Um, and again, the in from his side, the inaccuracy, like I did, I went uh, at half time. So I believe that if I've made a decision, someone feels wrong by that decision, I will try and explain why I, I reached that decision. Right. So I am um, quite vocal when I umpire. I try and explain my decisions. And I went up to him at half time. I said, this is the reason I sent you off. I, I haven't seen what's been going on. And I apologize to you that that's something I've missed. But I will try my best in the second half to pay more attention and just be more aware that, you know, because you've now flagged that to me. And that was a conversation that happened. And he's now in his letter using that as a as a way of discrediting me, because why would I apologize as a person if he'd wronged me in some way? Um, and I found that quite interesting. Because you're a decent human being. And you were talking about Joe, something very know? specific. Sorry, actually, did you know at this moment in time that he'd said those things? No. And so, and this is what's really yeah. interesting. So he's like, um, yeah, she came after me after the whistle. And I was like, well, there are two whistles in a game. I came, I, I came to you at half time after that whistle. Also, you didn't apologize for carding him. You said, I'm sorry if you did it because he said to you, right, but you weren't paying attention to what other people were doing. Yeah. So he's like, you know, this, this other player is as accountable This other players doing X, Y, Z. And I said to him, I apologize for missing that behavior. Exactly. On pitch. But you're not apologizing for his card. Because no, absolutely he's not. responsible for his own behavior. You know, this 100%. idea of provocation. Yeah. Well, so and so made me do it because they pissed me off. Yeah. Is bullshit. Also, so you you did not apologize to him for carding him is the point. No, I, yeah. I explained why. And then I said, and I'm sorry if I've missed something and I will do better in the second half to try and catch what, what you've now. Which is exactly what a fair empire should do. Should do, right? But yeah. he's using that against me now in, in his written response back. It's just, it's back to that like uh, playbook of things. Like you've done a thing that means that, that what he did was okay or you've proved to everyone that that you're lying or that it's inaccurate by doing another thing and it's just it yeah it it falls into a, the similar category of like holding up pants in court and saying well she wore these and so she deserves it most of my reply back is being like the, the five things that you sent back only one of those is relevant yeah and that's it. like you keep bringing in other stuff like a racial comment that joe made to you okay well that's not what's in dispute here if you've got a complaint against that that's a separate complaint how I chose to pull it on Instagram again it's it's irrelevant here what we're contesting is is the words which were said to an umpire during the game the fact that you've never been carded or ever you've never made a sexual comment in your life 
like a that's like that's impressive that you can remember that but b just because you've never been sent off or heard saying it doesn't mean you've never said it exactly so i've never been caught making yes. those kind of comments before. yeah except i wouldn't just just from a you know being the bigger party i on that particular point i wouldn't even position it that way it's best to just dismiss things like that you know yep there's a that fine okay let's say we accept your position there's a first yep. time for everything yeah, it's it's, it's irrelevant anything, the first time you know, you did, you did. Oh, i've never been convicted of rape before yeah yeah exactly you know, right. i've and never the... murdered someone before so ergo i couldn't have murdered this person absolutely and then i've said this X Hockey Club have mentioned that they will support our player down any legal route our player wishes to pursue. And I just very all I wanted was an acknowledgement it happened, an apology that it did, and for you and the player, the club and the player uh, to take it seriously so it doesn't happen again. Instead, you, the player and the club, have doubled down on their denial and wish for this to go away so that the player can move on and forget it ever happened. Um, and the fact that you said that you would like this dealt with swiftly, it took you a month to reply to my initial complaint. Um, and I just written here that I finished it like, you know, the club is failing to take any responsibility, but um, I am glad that they find it deeply concerning and acknowledge that it's a traumatic experience because it has been like, you know, to be so explicitly sexualized and targeted during a men's match by a male on pitch who, that, who previously had acted aggressively to another player that is traumatic. I received that email and I was physically shaken when, when I was reading through the email and I was again, that reaction was like, oh shit, you know, should I not have said anything? You know, have I, you know, have I done something wrong here? Said that I'm lying. Yeah, you said I'm lying. You're trying to spin my words around. Um, and again, you're throwing everything like, but the kitchen sink at me to be like, this didn't happen. I'm like, you've completely moved away from the thing that's actually in question here, which is you call me a fucking see you next Tuesday and said I was shit in bed. That's the only thing this complaint is dealing with. And you've managed to send me 10 other things to think about. Yeah, and, and I think that's completely the right approach which is to stay, you you be the bigger party, you're the one who stays on what is, you know, that that um, uh, pinpoint focus. What is and is not an issue yep. here? What is mm -hmm. this? And all that other mud that he's flinging, you just ignore it. It's white noise, you yep. know, and, and, stick to, and stick to being very factual. I mean, do they not realise the irony of their response? You've sent in a complaint to say... I felt attacked and intimidated and sexualized during this match. And they've sent back a letter going, you weren't fucking intimidated. And if you keep saying you're intimidated, we'll just take you to court because you're alive. We're going to sue you, yeah. <laughs> Defamation. You you're not seeing what you're doing. You're doing exactly the thing that you're denying. Look at your behavior. It's disgusting. I think what I'm really happy about, though, is that that you have decided, like, and I know it must have been horrible when you got that and you said you were physically shaking, but you are responding and I really, really hope that if something like that would happen to you or someone else again, that you would say, no, we're going to do, we're going through this again because it's the right thing to do. And just because they are intimidating me in response, I'm not, I'm not going to stand for it. Yeah. And I actually, I would just say, I think the point that Anne-Marie just made is a really good one. And actually you should incorporate that into the letter, Ali. You should just say, I invite you, the club, to take a look at the way that you've responded to this, that you've said, Exactly, exactly as Anne-Marie summarised it. I think that's a really good thing to put in the letter. And, and on the Instagram point, I wouldn't take the point this time. I would just, as you're planning to, say it's irrelevant. I did. But, you know, if it continues to be something that's used to somehow discredit you, which they, which again, right, women have been accused when they go to the media about sexual assault. You know, they're just doing it to get attention. No, it's because the, the, the other channels 
just shut you down. And also because we have realized over the last few years that the best chance we have of the, getting the stuff actually taken seriously is to not allow it to be kept behind closed doors. Because so often if you allow it. I publicly named the club on Instagram. I haven't publicly named the player um, because, yeah. you know. If, Which is correct. Yeah, exactly that. So um, it's, this isn't, a, uh, what's the thing? Duh. It's not a smear campaign. It's not a smear campaign. It's just, you know, this is unacceptable behavior. And I, I think as um, it might have been Rhiannon, you mentioned earlier, like just to acknowledge it could have happened. It did happen, but just to acknowledge the, it could have happened. You, you've recognized there was a heated discussion. You remember telling someone to fuck off, like you were carded by um, somebody before. The language used or referenced in your letter is the exact phrasing that you then threw. He's already, he's already acknowledged that he was sent off. He was sent off because you say that he was already being aggressive. He admits that he was being wound up by this other player and that, yep. you know, and that words were exchanged. So, you know. yeah. Which, so, so- that's another point, actually, that I would take which is, you know, the Will Smith, <laughs> we just keep coming back to, to Will Smith, but it's, it, but it's just such a good example. Mm. And this is the thing about, I mean, lots of people, right, that they think there's a justification or an excuse for this sort of behaviour. There's yeah. not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Provocation is bullshit. You are responsible for your own conduct. I mean, equally, you know, then we could use the argument, well, each time someone, yeah, calls us a slut or a bitch or whatever, well, then I was totally entitled to grab a knife and stab him. I mean, where does it end? You know, it's, 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 you, you, you are always responsible for your own conduct. And it doesn't matter if someone was winding you up. But it's just interesting that that is a lens that people still think is relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So I reckon we should stop there on that one. Or we could keep going um well i think but... can i can i just summarize because usually we of course try to um say and i think rihanna's probably already done this uh but we you know suggest how to deal with it and i think what you're doing is exactly right you know this was in de- designed to intimidate you and silence you you're not mm-hmm. going to give up um we're all here we've got your back and we look forward to the next installment <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might be a few months time they want it dealt with swiftly but swiftly for them is 30 days well on that on that bombshell thank you very much for that for that update that was a really really useful update and and it may well be that in future podcasts we can have a continuance of it because i'd be really interested to hear how it's how it proceeds and whether or not you get something meaningful back from the club i I certainly think that the response from the club is unnecessarily aggressive Aggressive. yeah yeah um but i mean this is it actually blends in really well with the topic for today which is sport and the point that we're making that so many fewer women than men are involved in sport and this is just it's a great case in point as to why that might happen to put some st- statistics to the gender gap so um i think we can all agree generally just having a look at what's on tv and um, that sports participation in the uk there's a massive gender gap to it um, sport england has done some pretty impressive research into this and they say that there is a significant uh, significantly fewer women than men play sport regularly so we'll talk about professionals of course because that's what's in the media and there's been a lot of debate about equal pay and equal representation and sponsorship and marketing and things um but really what i was interested in with thinking about sports is grassroots school girls um how we can get just normal people more involved in it 
But Sports England says that 2 million, this is just in England, 2 million fewer 14 to 40 year old women and girls take part in sport when compared with men, despite the fact that 75% say they want to be more active. Um, And I would point out now that it's not just the playing of sports that is unequal. There are gender gaps throughout throughout sport. So women make up only 18% of qualified coaches, 9% of senior coaches, um, and for almost half, so 49% of publicly funded national governing bodies, uh, less than a quarter of their board are women. women. Um, So it's just it's just the idea that women are for some reason being put off. Um, and that, again, there's been a lot of research about it, particularly at the schoolgirls level. But it's just it's it's I think it's the classic examples that we can think of. They have a fear of feeling judged, a lack of confidence, pressures of schoolwork, sort of not feeling safe. Um, and just I think it's the body image issues, um, especially when they get to puberty and just a lack of self-belief and confidence that are the issues. Um, Rhiannon looks like she has something to say about that. No, I just wanted to come in on on that around schoolgirls. So I found a you might have this stat, but it, uh, it's all something that's like just over half of girls um, drop sports when they hit puberty. Um, and that's in comparison to about a quarter of boys. And a lot of that, it comes, there's n- numerous reasons, but a lot of it comes down to sexualization. Um, and that girls see uh, female athletes being sexualized and then they think, well, I don't want to be sexualized in that way. There's also, there were a lot of, um, the This Girl Can campaign did a whole yeah. lot of stuff around um, how girls don't feel comfortable when they're sweaty, when they're red. But that mm. comes down to sexualization and having to fulfill a certain criteria and look a certain way. And then, of course, there's sports where you aren't necessarily muscular and skin or skinny, but you might be muscular or you might be on the heavier side as well. And that's not something that's sort of deemed OK. Um, I've I've heard someone I went to a spinning class and the woman who was running the spinning class um, was was larger. She's probably like a size 16, 18. And I heard someone say, is she really running the class? And I've never seen anyone like her. She was astonishing. She was so fit. Um, and But there is an instant assumption that you can't be overweight and fit. And of course, there are wrestlers, there are shot putters, there are all sorts of sports where you can be bigger and you have to be bigger um, in order to be able to do this stuff. But our sort of uh, typical, back to the male gaze from last week, the... Um, the heterosexual male view and Western and white view is often skinny, like slim, etc. Um, and that doesn't fit into these criteria and that puts girls off. So just um, this girl, this girl can, I remember seeing that video for the first time and I actually like teared up. Um, it was the first time I think that real people have been used. It was that kind of sentiment of, you know, you may be slow, but you're lapping everyone still sat on the couch. Right. And it was kind of, even a little bit of doing it for you that's why we're you know that's why we're doing this and it was such a great sentiment and I think I'm right in saying that they managed to um the success of that campaign they got like 1.6 million people uh women specifically exercising off the back of that campaign um and I just it was absolutely remarkable and there are videos actually of the um, I think her name's Tanya I could get that wrong um of the team basically behind that marketing campaign and, and they talk through the research and kind of like went through it and that's actually quite an interesting conversation if anyone's interested in the marketing side of it. 
Yeah, massively. I mean, marketing is one of the things that is that it is down for just women being involved in sport. Um, but also, I just wanted to point out that sport isn't necessarily all the stuff that we might think about football, tennis, spinning. It doesn't have to be sweaty if that's something that you're not comfortable with. Although mm -hmm. if you're going to start raising your heart rate, you probably want to be doing a little bit of sweating. But yoga is incredibly good. And um, one of my friend's daughters does um is a rifle shooter unbelievably good and that i thought that is awesome i love that idea of, so it doesn't have to be i sweat like a pig when i do yoga exactly. i mean <laughs> I, was I, was like, I don't know what maybe you've been doing like yin or you know really gentle, tai chi. gentle hatha but uh if you do a vinyasa flow class you're gonna be oh, is that the one in the sauna no, no, no that's, that's um that's bikram oh yeah that, okay right. but, yeah, but you yoga, are right though yoga is hard okay yeah I, 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 I am I am with Amory though. It's just like like going for a walk is yeah. is sport. Yeah. Uh, tai Chi is a sport, right? You know, medieval sword fighting, which I know Em's partner does, is a sport. Oh, so and there it's are... very sweaty. Just well, okay, but like yeah. <laughs> I yeah, just it doesn't have to be again. I'm yeah. just going to yeah. cover off um, because whenever we're talking about like oh, I don't like being a bit sweaty. I'm a very sweaty person, so that's that's a nice thing for all our listeners to know. Um, and I <laughs> when I exercise, I I get I get so incredibly sweaty and sometimes that does bother me. Um, but actually mm. I, I get more bothered by it when I'm like going to work or whatever. But actually when I'm doing sport, if I'm not really sweating, I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not doing it yeah. properly. Oh, I love it. So I'm I am sweating buckets. And if I'm not, I'm a bit annoyed with myself because I know <laughs> I'm just not working hard enough. So yeah, I'm with you. During my teens, actually I did competitive ballroom and Latin American dancing and, you know, it's an interesting, hearing what you guys have been saying, it's an interesting hybrid because you do sweat, um, but you're also, you know, made up, like, uh, at, you know, I mean, the layers of fake tan that go on, you know, then the fake nails that are, you know, a, an inch long. <laughs> and lots of lots of women, for example, you know, they stick diamantes to their cheeks and, uh, you know, there's the glitter hairspray and you've got this these amazing hairdos, fake eyelashes. So on the one hand, you're sort of conforming to this very traditional uh, model of what femininity is. And actually, as a teenage girl, that comes with its own issues, because there's all these, you know, other teenage girls and women in these tremendously skimpy outfits. You know, it's very sexualized ballroom dancing, right? Yeah. Um, and that's part of it. It's about showing off your amazing waist and that sort of thing, and these great legs that you have. So uh yeah it's kind of it's it's not it's not getting muddy like like hockey that sort of un uh, not feminine i guess you know traditionally side of things which scares some girls but equally it's that it's i mean body image is really you know in focus in a sport 100%. like that and but also so absolutely but i also think for netball and um hockey the the uniform I'm using air quotes here is a skirt and the, like the skirts aren't you know they're deliberately hot pants short you know and if you are a little bit conscious of your legs or um I I weightlift so I've got quite solid thighs I get chafing in between my legs so quickly in a pair of um and a skirt because there's just nothing no real material between your legs and I know a lot of people end up wearing like additional shorts under their skirts but there's this pressure that if you're in a team sport and that's the uniform and you don't want to be wearing it because it's uncomfortable for you or it makes you feel conscious 
you don't want to buck that trend. So you wear the uniform that perhaps you don't want to be wearing. Right? That would definitely whole be thing. for me, sorry, to, today. Um, and even as a teenager, you know, I, I've never been someone who wears short skirts or short shorts because I'm really self-conscious of my thighs. And that definitely keeps me out of sports like that. And of course, volleyball, as we've discussed before, the idea of doing sport in the bikini bottom, hell no, that would keep me away. I think Ali makes a really good point. And um, Rhiannon and I were speaking about this just the other day about how so much sport uniform hasn't really been designed by women. And so it doesn't cater to women. In most of the situations, it's what women probably should wear stereotypically like a skirt. so it's a skirt and because we're running around all the time they put some tiny shorts underneath as a bit of a modesty thing but also various other pieces of sporting uniform is just smaller versions of men's stuff that they use so I know Rhiannon was talking about the weightlifting belt that she wears which is just it's, it doesn't cater to the woman's frame mm-hmm. um, and it's not quite sporting uniform. Um, but we have a listener um, whose father is in the police and said that the stab vests and some of the police uniform that they wear is just a smaller version of the men's uniform. And it doesn't cater for different proportions that you get with women. When it comes to when it comes to uniforms generally, this is something that I was reading so much about. So we know about the volleyball thing. And um, so this was for anyone who doesn't know, it's the Norwegian volleyball team, right? Um, who there was a picture of them, the men's team are wearing like knee length shorts, and actually they're not allowed to be above a certain uh distance from their knees, um, and like full tops, and the women have a very specific size of um of bikini bottom that they have to wear and it, it from the policing clothing episode our very first episode I think you can uh or the second episode uh there are the measurements but I think it was like seven centimeters at the side it was allowed to be um but then there's so many other things so the one of the um Olympic which Olympic team was it there was an Olympic team uh the Germans uh gymnastic team decided to wear full unitards like that went wrist to ankles um Mm -hmm. and thankfully for them there's no rule that says they have to wear the skimpy unitards and they were just like this makes us feel more comfortable uh we don't they often end up having to put like chalk on their legs where it's where it's uh in case they get sweaty so they don't slip off things they don't have to worry about that but the other thing that I read about was that often bothers women is around our views on body hair. So they're kind of forced to get like bikini waxes um, and make sure their legs are permanent, like permanently shaved because of the body shaming they'll get when they then, when there's a photo of them and there's pubic hair sticking out the side of their tiny leotard um, on, on, on uh, social media, but also it's really hard to um, control, have any like uh, issues when, when it comes to periods. So if they're wearing a towel or a tampon, there's a chance it could be seen. And again, like that shouldn't be a big deal, but it is. And it's an extra thing you don't want to have to think about. But also if you're wearing little tiny, tiny pants, it's very hard to then wear anything that's going to be comfortable when you're on your period. Um, I know that uh, female cyclists are told to grow out their uh, pubic hair because it's comfier on the bike. Um, but they don't have to wear teeny tiny um, oh, things. That's what I've been doing wrong all this time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is, <laughs> anyone who, who regularly waxes their waxes or shaves or d- does whatever with their pubic hair, like when mm. it starts to grow back, if you've got tight, bottoms on it's uncomfortable and I can't imagine playing 
sport in like really small bikini bottoms when the hair's coming back through and it's a bit itchy and like yeah. just like that sounds horrendous so there's a number of reasons that women are then put off doing sports um and yeah hair body issues generally periods like it's all all reasons not to not to do it and with the bikini bottom of course then also you know you're, you're being forced to ha- expose your torso your midriff and you're being forced to expose you know I think they wear sort of crop tops right mm-hmm. so there's so many aspects depending on which part of your body you're self-conscious about or even if you're not self-conscious about your body it's just not right for someone else to dictate that you have to put it on display to that level you know if you're a swimmer or something well I mean what you have to wear to do your sport should be dictated by the needs of that sport you know it, which cyclists yeah. The Norwegian team said, you know, women need to do this. And they're like, well, hang on a second. Our male counterparts can play perfectly fine in longer shorts and a T-shirt. It's, it's bollocks, right? You're just making one rule for one, one rule for the other. The thing I was going to add to yours as um, well, Rhiannon, is so I, I'm quite small chested. Um, so actually, that has never really been an issue for me. But my little sister, I remember when she was a kid, she had to wear two sports bras just for comfort, just to make sure that she could keep doing sport, right? And I think when you're going through puberty and those changes are happening and you're, you're, you know, you're trying to get used to your new body and how things work and stuff. And, you know, if you're a bigger chested person, I, I hear that running can be quite uncomfortable because obviously, you know, there's a lot of motion and stuff. And actually, there isn't a lot of good sports kit on the market for amateur sport, right? And what younger. I mean for younger people with smaller, maybe with smaller backs, um, yep. but also that like budge stage where actually everything's not in place yet and you need yes. a different kind of support. Um, yep. I remember our PE teacher having a conversation with the girls about sports bras because we had some particularly large-breasted girls in my in my class and they yep. really struggled. It was yep. really hard also, for them. And it's like there obviously are sports bras in the market, but, you know, you're having to spend quite a lot of money to get a half decent one. And actually that can be a barrier to entry. Well, then perhaps every summer shouldn't just be track and field. You know, perhaps we should have some other sports at school. And this is the point I was making earlier. There are so many other sports that don't necessarily require explosive strength and running around have a variety of sports available or have some more unusual sports available that might be more comfortable for women to try you know like obviously rifle shooting is not a good one because that would be expensive but maybe having a class where people do do yoga and then the girls can come fully clothed and it's a bit more um advantageous for mental health for example you know yoga is equally a sport as doing 1500 meters and so i wonder if schools need to go back to the drawing board and just think about what would be more accessible and relevant to keep girls in sport than how you can make a big busted girl more comfortable running a half marathon yeah and i'm just just going to say that in australia i mean in the summer you have to swim which really doesn't allow much i mean so then what happens is when you're a young girl who's you know just started to get her periods and you're not comfortable using tampons or moon cups or whatever yet it means that your parents have to do a letter to your PE teacher which you just want to die and of course you know yes we should be we should be doing something about about that that young girls feel embarrassed when they have their period because they shouldn't remember in my case my dad's a doctor so he wouldn't even just use a euphemism like the other parents who would say it's her time of the month I remember having to take letters to my PE teacher that said please excuse Em from swimming this week as she is menstruating. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> Call um, it what it is. Call it what yeah, it is. Well, that's exactly what it is. You know, 
Oh, yeah, exactly. I love that approach. Um, Call it what it is. I mean, there's various (laughs) points there, but I think, you know, that's just one of those ones where it puts girls in a really difficult, some girls in a very difficult position. And again, you know, but then you don't want to make blanket rules that say, well, then we won't have swimming in schools because it might make someone feel uncomfortable. I think it is this point, maybe Anne-Marie, what you're saying is that, and for, for, for boys as well, let's have different options because a lot of boys are very self-conscious about their bodies if they haven't developed alongside their friends as well, you know, when we're talking about teenage years. And yeah. why not have lots of choices? Like like you said, yoga's a good one. Like, why not tennis, you know? Um, yeah, or, you know, like yeah, doing the, the ribbons. Or, or just like the so many things. Technically, right? That's, so that's, many that's, things. That's, you know, I mean, there's there's lots of... Um, yeah, some you know, kind of gymnastics. But, and, it, but yeah. in a, in Australia, you know, I used to always do the same rugby things. or AFL mm. and the girls do netball. And as I was going through school, it was very difficult. You know, I remember we had in primary school, we had one boy who did netball and I think one or two girls who did AFL. And actually that in the sort of early 90s was was when the, the teachers were being pushed for the first time to even allow that. And initially they resisted. So there's an interesting, interesting thing that I also think schools should uh, maybe think about. So I read something. Uh, so sports, team sports are particularly good for like building teamwork, leadership, confidence, all sorts of stuff. Um, and uh, I found a stat through uh, an Ernst and Young study that said 61% of female execs say that sports significantly contributed to their success. And 94% of women in C-suite roles uh, played sports, uh, 52% of those to uni level because of the, like, the, I don't know, I think it is maybe a leadership thing and a, a, a teamwork thing. But I think that's a really interesting stat um and something that uh if schools knew perhaps um yeah perhaps they should uh they should say look this is a reason you should say in in sports like screw the sweaty stuff and don't worry about that this is a really positive a positive thing so before we move on to to some of the more professional aspects one of the things that i did want to highlight which i think rhiannon has just touched on are the benefits that come from sport or exercise or or you know just being active not only is it just healthy for you um it massively helps your mental health it makes you feel a little bit more in control of things um you build teamwork you build leadership skills um accountability time management a little bit of uh, strategy and you know it's also just fun it's your way of having fun and learning how to how to play and you know if i hadn't been playing hockey so we were asking earlier if, if people were as mouthy when they were younger i don't think i was necessarily mouthier but i was much much easier to wind up and now when I'm a little bit older and, you know, and I'm, I'm convinced that part of that is is playing sport and being challenged and pushing myself a little bit. And um, I've been rock climbing or bouldering a couple of times uh, with Elias and I absolutely love it because you get to do it at your own pace. You can challenge yourself as much as you want. And it's kind of solving puzzles with your friends. And so there are so many things that you can do that don't necessarily cost loads of money, um, but it just makes you feel fantastic. And I, you know, it bothers me that 75% of people are saying that they want to be more active. And if it is something to do with body image or self-confidence, then it's such a shame that they're not just getting involved. Ellie. Absolutely. All I was going to say was that I also find um, 
So I have a couple of friends of mine who end up getting into pole dancing and I think that they delayed getting into pole dancing because there was a stigma attached around it being quite slutty or, you know, it's um, it's got something to do with strip clubs. And obviously it's not. It's an incredibly athletic sport to do. And the girls who do it, yeah, my God, the, the strength that they have to be able to do that sport is incredible. Uh, but there's a stigma mm-hmm. attached. And so perhaps mm-hmm. people are also avoiding sport because of that. Um, and an example that I have personally is, I do weightlifting. Um, I did weightlifting and powerlifting. And for a long time, I've been criticized because my biceps are slightly bigger than Joe's or it's a masculine sport and my shoulders are, um, too, are too big. And uh, Ellie, you know, you don't want to get too muscular. Um, it's not a very feminine thing. You know, men like their women, not muscular. And I was like, well, I don't give a shit about men. Like I feel incredibly comfortable. I've never felt this comfortable in my own skin. And there was a long time where I chose to do sport because it made me skinnier and actually I am very grateful that I've moved beyond that and actually I do sport now for a variety of reasons but one of those is because I I feel confident I feel sexy I feel strong and all those things is what weightlifting gives me and I feel that had I listened to people saying or claiming that weightlifting or powerlifting um, is a predominantly male sport and they shouldn't go into it you know, I, I would then have missed out on all the benefits that I feel now. And it just seems like such a silly thing for other people to have an opinion about what muscle mass I have um, when actually all the other benefits are just so just greatly outweigh the aesthetics. Um, although aesthetics are obviously a very good thing, too. But I know I know so on the weightlifting side of things before we move on to the professional athletes, um, I know so many friends like female friends who are very intimidated by going to the weightlifting bit of the gym um, and and won't go unless they've got someone with them to kind of encourage them and and, and stuff. And I'm just like, I just, I, I don't care. Um, and, and, but the thing that does bother me and uh, not so much as it used to, but when men will stare at you because you're lifting something heavy. And I, I had, there was like this 65 year old guy who stood directly in front of me while I was, while I was um, doing a deadlift. And it was one of my heavier deadlifts. And he was like, oh, I couldn't lift that. And I was like, no, because you're a 65 year old man who's just been on the rower for the last like 10 minutes. You're not, you're, you're like all sinew. Of course you can't lift it. You're saying I couldn't lift it. And because it's weird because you're a girl that you can do this. I was just like, <laughs> it, it really, really annoys me. Um, and I, I tend to, I, I just one other quick story. There was a teenage boy yeah. who, uh, or a couple of teenage boys, and they saw what I was lifting on the leg press and looked at each other and was like, really? Like I could see this look in their eyes. So I put on an extra 40 kilos um, and, and lifted it. And, and they were, they kind of both nodded and went, huh. And I was like, yes, like, screw you off your trot. Don't judge people. Um, and it's just, it's so frustrating. I, I really think yeah. those kind of things put women off going to do the thing they love. I personally have always really liked, aesthetically, muscular women. I like the, 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 the strength that's implied there and the health, you know, the good health and the, the yeah, the, I guess it implies the ability to, to do things. Um, and also maybe the, the challenging of the, of the gender stereotypes. And I mean, when I was a teenager, you know, what we had around was the stick Thin Gwyneth Paltrow, who has since said, you know, that she really damaged her health. Callista Flockhart and Portia de Rossi, who had shocking eating disorders. I mean, they were skeletal, you know. And those super, super, super thin arms, right? And 
then I remember Madonna, remember she bulked up and she got those really muscular arms and she was criticized. And there were so many people who said, oh, that's so gross on a woman. And I just think it's a, mm. it's a fascinating reflection because I've, I've had that, those sorts of comments because I like lifting weights. I don't tend to do heavy weights like you guys anymore. I really enjoy doing sort of hit training and that works for me. And I get really nicely sculpted arms. Um, but I just find it, you know, it's, it's that thing of, again, women, it feels like you get criticized, whatever you do. And everybody mm-hmm. feels entitled to have a comment, you know, that, that, that entitled yep. to comment on your body. Who, who fucking cares? Because you know what? The person I'm with does like it and I like it. So off you trot. Yeah. And it's just like, and I've had a lot of, I, so I did karate from the age of eight. So I've always, I've been in quite male air quotes again male sports so I, I feel less intimidated by that but there were the you know the eyebrows being raised and it just it set something different in me I, I remember I used to run to be skinny but when I was at karate I was um I was doing karate to get stronger to get faster to to defend myself there was a purpose there much more you know and I, I ran I ran simply to lose weight and I think that was such a sad part. I now run because I enjoy running and it is it, part of everything else. But that, yeah, I don't know, sport with purpose, I think, is really important. And again, discouraging women from doing that stuff and just go, no, 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 no. You go on the baby weights over there or just go for a run. That That's for you. So what do you think about? Because, Ali, I like with the with running or any or yoga, you know, I do those things for uh mainly the mental space that they create you know it's it they're, 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 it, and this is one of the things about sport and i think one of the saddest things about people not doing sport or maybe let's let's expand this to you know physical physicality physical exercise of some form it, it, the the along with the benefits that um Rhiannon mentioned in terms of you know your career and your professional life also it's just so good for your well-being and I think that's the really sad thing. If women are feeling, and I completely, you know, like Rhiannon said, feel that they can't go to the weight section in the gym or going running. Women have to think about the time of day and where they're going to run, you know? And there have been so many times when I've been out running and there haven't been many people around and there's been a seedy guy. And you then, mm-hmm. your your nice run for your own well-being is interrupted by that fear of, is he going to try to, you know... Uh, accost me and then they say something to you and they just they they you know they want to rob you of of that nice you time the whole point of your run so it 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 can be really um fraught for women but I do I do agree I mean I think uh, there's nothing wrong with with wanting your body to or being proud of your body I guess right as a result of exercise like we all but it's the difference between I think you're saying the motivation of it's kind of a negative motivation of well I have to run or I have to go and lift these weights because I'm disgusting versus I'm going to run and I'm going to lift these weights because it makes me feel really good and also I look great yeah no absolutely and that's like and I think when you sorry I think when you change your mental attitude like that 
doing exercise and doing sport and being active becomes a much nicer thing to do you look forward to it if you think i've got to go oh god i've got to go to the gym again because i've got to lose weight because i hate how i look because no one will find me attractive you're always going to have that feeling of god i really don't want to go and i'm just i'd rather stay at home and, and you know chill out in front of the tv whereas if you think i love how i feel afterwards i'm really enjoying doing these weights look how much i can lift now that i couldn't do two months ago i'm really enjoying the idea of going and seeing my friend i, I have have to go because my friend is going to be waiting there for me because we're doing the weights together and we spot each other you you, you completely you do a 180 in terms of how you view exercise so can i can i put something out there what do you guys think about women's only hours at the gym and women only classes so that's a tough one so i i personally have no desire to to do that um, and I'm and uh, to go, I, I'll happily go if there's a class I want to go to, and it happens to be at the hour I want to go to the gym. But um, yeah, I don't feel I need it. But there will definitely be women who don't want to be around men if they're yeah wearing tighter clothes because that's the other thing. Is actually a lot of women's sports clothes generally like um, leggings are it's hard to find things that aren't tight for for sports and for exercise um maybe there are people that don't want to do that but equally i know that there are men who especially if they're trying to lose weight are like i don't want to i feel embarrassed going to the gym and 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 being the the bigger person i don't i don't know if i'm if i think it's necessary so i think it'd be a wonderful idea and i think if you'd asked me about a week ago i would have echoed rhiannon in saying I just don't see what the benefit is. And if anything, I think it would be more detrimental because men and women need to see each other on an equal playing field in the gym together, helping each other out, viewing each other, being active. Um, and I went to uh, a talk uh, about single sex services. So things like mm -hmm. toilets and changing rooms and domestic abuse refuges and gyms, you know, where it might be that you want to segregate males and females. And I just it, it just never occurred to me some of the reasons why that might be a good idea beyond the fact that I didn't care. <laughs> and so why would it? So, you know, there, there may well be women who, who have had some violence, you know, women and girls uh, and the violence against women and girls is just rife. And we just we don't have well, we've got the statistics to show that it's rife and, and we know that there's even more that we just don't know. So those are the kinds of people that might might be not coming to the gym because they just don't feel safe. There are other things like um, certain religions or certain cultures just don't accept women and men being in the same space and perhaps doing something like that. So those, that's another tranche of, of females and perhaps males that just can't be in the same space together that aren't coming to the gym. So there are a whole host of reasons why it might be a great idea beyond the fact that, you know, a pretty privileged white female doesn't really care because I can lift weights and I'm confident enough. Some people can't or don't want to or feel endangered. And I think I think there would certainly be a legitimate argument to say there should be some female only spaces. So I used to work at a gym. Um I worked at a gym during my university and actually we had a Muslim community um and we had a female only section and for them it allowed them to train without their headscarves on. Um, and it was a safe space for them to do that. There was also, yeah. I found it was a quieter room. It was less 
grunting there was less weights being thrown around and occupying two machines and exactly that being possessive and yep. all that sort of stuff where you try to go and use a piece of equipment and some guy comes over and says actually i'm using that exactly that and then you're like well how many pieces can you monopolize at once yeah and you, you right? know they're leaving but you go yeah okay sorry. they're leaving 20 kilo plates on the squat racks you know and expecting the the woman to come and like take them off and all that kind of stuff and i just thought that happens or i noticed when um i was at the gym that happened less in the the female only area and actually i did never minded training in the main section of the gym but actually if it ever got too busy or a bit rowdy i, I would take myself away and i would go to the other room because it was just a, a quieter space there was less people kind of engaging with you so if you wanted an hour just in your own head it, it felt like a, a better room to do that in um i don't know like um, yeah i kind of agree that they should be but equally um so my partner I said, you know, why don't you come to the to the gym? So he he's predominantly a badminton player. Um, he likes sport versus um, aesthetic gym. A gym. Um, so I said, like, why don't you come along and we can do some stuff to to help your sport with, um, you know, more lunging or get some more arm strength. And he came and he felt intimidated. It's not just a women's issue. Like he felt intimidated exactly. to go over to the dumbbells, knowing that he's probably going to be on the smaller end of the dumbbells to begin with, right? But everyone's got to take that first step. And I think creating spaces where everyone feels included or everyone feels that start that's somewhere. accessible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's and something that whenever I hear people kind of go, uh, oh, you know, he or she is like lifting lightweights or they're walking on the treadmill or they're whatever. It's like, no, you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Like you weren't lifting 100, you weren't doing 100 kilo deadlifts when you started. Yeah. And that's why I think I, you know, I said in the chat and also I'm actually fine with, for that reason, I'm also fine with men's only training time. Now men's issues may be, it'd be interesting. Actually, I don't know if there's research on this, the barriers for men doing sport, whether it is, for example, women seeing them in the gym, if they're not comfortable with their bodies, or maybe it's anyone. And, you know, I put into our group discussion, well, I completely agree that it's that it's important to have times and spaces for women. The other thing is, I think it would also be useful, touching on what Ellie said, possibly to have just times and spaces for beginners, where it's like, okay, the, the, the good people, the peacocks, they don't get to come to the gym at, the, at this time, you know. If, um, if you either, you know, just unconfident or or you know beginners classes I think you know with weights in particular um because that's also a thing that that um you know if someone hasn't been taught mm. and again I don't know if this is just if this is, affects women more than men but if you don't know how to use all that equipment you know it's just practical things like that as well yeah uh, but I, I think you're absolutely right and I think what really it boils down to is there is a discomfort around sport partly because there are still those stereotypes about the kind of sports that women should be doing you know Rhiannon that you were saying people look at you when you're doing weights in the gym and that when you were younger you know the the males went and did rugby and the females went and did something else and and I think there's a there's a huge amount that still kind of exists today where there are stereotypes as to what kind of sports women should be doing and where their place is. And it reminds me of uh, it, I think it was only just over 100 years ago um, that women's football was actually banned uh, by the FA. So the FA had a concern. I don't know how well this is known. I'm getting nods, but I remember that I only heard about it a few years ago and I found it disgusting because there is the debate around equal pay and some of the arguments are, well, you just don't attract the same kind of audience. You 
you know you're not you're not as good and part of my response is we you you haven't allowed women to be as good um i will just give some background facts on it and but back in uh, 1921 uh, women's football was unbelievably popular in fact arguably more popular certainly um the dick kerr's ladies football team um, had a massive spectator day. They frequently drew five-figure crowds all over the country. And one of their last games in uh, December in 1920, they attracted around 53,000 fans to Goodison Park to watch them play. And at the time, that was the largest uh, football events that England had seen since records began. Now, arguably as a result of that, but certainly very soon after that, the FA um, announced a complete ban on women's football. Um, And part of their concern was that uh, women's football was becoming um, detrimental uh, to men's football. And it was diverting the paying spectators away from the men's professional games who were all coming back to England. Um, And they actually went out and got some uh, medical opinions on this. And some doctors quotes were that Football was considered most unsuitable for a woman's frame. It's quite inappropriate for women. Uh, further, kicking is too jerky a movement for women. For women, The frame of a woman is more rounded than a man's. Her movements should be more rounded and less angular. Um, obviously, when we're looking back on it now, it's ridiculous. But part of it infuriates me about the equal pay argument uh, is that it will... Hold on a minute, you have that men have held the women back from actually yep. playing in this sport. And now yeah. you're saying, well, you're just not, you're just not good enough. Also the amount of money that is not being poured into women's football and all of other women's sports as well. That's what they're saying. Like there's a lot of criticism now because there's a lot of funding or a lot more today funding going into women's sport. And they're like, well, why, why do the women deserve to get fast track? They should have to, you know, go through the same hoops and things that men had to go through. It's like, no, no, no. You deliberately put women's progression on pause yep. for your own gain. So you absolutely owe it to women to now fast track that progression to get them to the same levels because you bastards took it away from us to begin with. And there's so many, there's so many of these things. So yeah. I've got, I think I've got three, three little bits. So people, as you said, Amory, people say, um, well, they don't bring in the crowds. And so, and I do get it. It's a bit of a chicken yeah. and egg thing. So women don't get as much sponsorship because yeah. they don't bring in the crowds. Then women don't get as much pay because of the revenue thing. But actually, and then it's not on TV because it's not as watched and it and it becomes this great big cycle. Um, I know that the, so the American women's soccer team just won a, uh, a lawsuit. I think they got $22 million to be spread over a certain period of time in back pay. Um, because the thing that doesn't make sense with women's soccer is that uh, in America, women's soccer is way more popular than men. Um, and because I and I, this is why I specifically went and researched that because I was like, okay, let's not let's not do English football because again, it's that revenue cycle thing. But women's soccer brings in huge, huge amounts of money in America, so much more popular, um, yeah. and and they were getting paid significantly less, significantly less. There was another thing that I do actually uh, I wanted to mention as well. So the one of the things they lost on was they wanted the same bonus scheme that the men's team have so the men's team they had to win fewer games than the women's to get bonus bonuses um but of course the argument would be there well we want to encourage the men to do really well um the women are winning everything 
So why, like, we don't want to say, well, you only have to win five games to get your bonus. They're, so I kind of get that bit. But yeah, so, so there's that. The other thing that I've heard is, well, it's not as good. Women's, women aren't as good at certain things. So let's look at like football and at similar kinds of sports. Well, that's possibly because of the grassroots thing that women are starting later. But also I read something that between the ages of two and eight, it's called a sensitive period, which is a period where you learn the most of your motor neuron, mo- no, mo- motor skills, most of your motor skills. And girls are often pushed into different types of things. So it's where you l- learn how to kick, catch, throw. Um, and girls aren't necessarily doing that for that whole period. Play and tap at that point. Exactly. So we're not necessarily learning those skills to the same extent that boys do. And then that means they have to learn them later. And it's much, much harder to, to make make it really good. So um, yeah, I the the fair pay thing is a it's a really difficult topic without getting a lot of different site lot different bits of information. Um, I just I just on the football, the uh, US women's football team, it just goes to show that I do think there is genuine sexism there because the other sports are saying, well, you know, they're just not playing as well. There's just not as much revenue. They're not attracting as much as, as much in terms of crowd volume. And so the women have gone to court and the courts haven't turned around and said, yes, absolutely right. In fact, the women are doing much better and they're more skillful and they're attracting better crowds. So they should be paid more. They said, no, you can be paid, you can be paid, you can be paid equal now. Whereas, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> there was also a really interesting point that you made earlier about the fact, uh, the reasoning that the football um, association gave for no longer allowing women to play was because they're aesthetically not built to play a game that they had obviously successfully played for years before. Um, it, it's not up to men to define the limits of women. And, you know, if you actually let women do what women do, they're pretty fucking amazing. You know, you just have a look at like Jasmine Paris. She was the first woman to win a 268-mile Montan spine race while expressing milk for a baby at aid stations. And then you've got Alice in Montana, who ran in an 800-meter race in the U.S. Track and Field Championships back in 2014 while she was eight months pregnant. Paula Radcliffe, she won the you know the New York City Marathon in 2007, nine months after giving birth to her daughter. Catherine Switzer became the first woman to officially run the Boston Marathon in 1967 after being almost dragged off the course by a male marshal. Um, and that came after women were told they were too frail to complete the distance. And obviously, we, we fucking well can. And then, of course, you've got Billie Jean King, who defeated Bobby Riggs in the Battle of the Sexes in 1973. And so for men to set the limits of women is just a fucking joke. And I actually believe, um, obviously, you know, as, as you evidenced there, Amory, a lot of it comes down to a fear that if we allow women to do what women do best, actually then starts to eat into what males have given themselves, which is just more airtime, more money in their pockets and a greater opportunities to pursue things that everyone can pursue. It's just such a weird part of our history. I completely agree. And I think that's such a wonderful example of males holding up women and helping them to compete in sport and really, you know, championing their cause. I'm conscious that um, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal um, obviously very famous male tennis players um, said a few years ago that women should be paid less because their viewing figures are lower. Um, but then by their own logic, they should have been paid less when they won at the US Open in 2010 and 2011 because the women got higher viewing figures. And I was just, I wanted to come back what you, to what you said before, Anne-Marie, that um, 
you know, when you said that the courts have said, okay, well, women can get paid as much as men, where the women are actually bringing in more revenue and more audience. I mean, that's still so, so the men, so, but where the men are the ones who are bringing in more audience, often because they actually get the TV time. You know, if we're not on TV, how is anyone even going to watch us? But that's still fine for them to get paid more where they're doing better. Yeah. But when we're doing better, we should only get paid just as much as them. Yeah. Yes. So exactly. And that bonus, I didn't actually realize about that bonus point that Ellie had raised that um, the they weren't allowed the equal bonus scheme because they wanted to encourage men. Is that what? Uh, so, yeah. So they had a, they had a less advantageous bonus scheme because they wanted the men to have a better bonus scheme. Is that what you were saying, Ellie? Uh, it's Rhiannon. I think he brought the bonus. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. So what they wanted, what they wanted was the uh, they wanted the bonus scheme to so I don't know what the numbers were but say for instance women had to win 10 games to get a bonus men had to win five mm-hmm. um and um the essentially they said well you know you're winning all the matches um and so that's a reasonable like it's reasonable for us to set a target that's a bit higher um and I think I I actually think I agree um on so, that so I I think it's a great incentive you know, and in a way, it kind of equalizes it in a sense. But I wonder how much of a precedent that has then set because it went to a really senior court. It so did. can you come from another sport and say, well, our bonuses for the women's basketball, for the women's US basketball team should be better or should be more generous than the men's because we're just not winning as much and you want to incentivize us to play. So I didn't manage to I had I didn't get enough time to research that thing. That was exactly what I wanted to look for to see if there are other bonus schemes. And another thing that's been proven to help with the um, with female sport is having more female presenters, like broadcasters. Um, a report from Sky Sports and Leaders in Sport have found that there's a 21% increase in UK adults following of women's sports since the pandemic. And that has been driven by its grown broadcast presence. So not only are we getting more airtime, so you're actually getting the opportunity to see these sports for free alongside the, the men's sports on TV. But actually, when you have female broadcasters, you're enabling you you start to dismantle this idea that sports is just a man's world and you know i've I've certainly been in a conversation where it's been like you know oh god why why do we need female presenters they're just doing it to tick a box you know and they're they're on merit they're just there to you know to look good and um as as a tokenism and i just think that is just such a like so appalling you can't sit there and say that the likes of sue barker or claire baldwin um, or Alex Scott don't actually know what they're talking about. Of course they do. And they have absolutely every right to sit alongside their male uh, colleagues and present on the on sport. Um, because and it's just this long held belief that men seem to know more about the topic. And that's just a load of nonsense. You know, Sam Quake, um, XGB gold medalist uh, hockey player. She's now a fantastic presenter because she's lived and breathed the sports that she's talking about. Um, and it's just a really weird we we spoke about it a few weeks ago on, on the um, on the film episode. You need the female point of view. It's not good enough just having a male point of view. So I, I know you want to say something, Rihanna, but my um, my dad didn't watch any of the, or he doesn't watch any women's football, uh, even when there are the big competitions on that I sometimes tune in for. But he did watch enough to complain about the presenters that it was about it was, Alex Scott. That it was all, yeah, that it was all women on there. He was like, where are the men? Where are the men? You're always complaining that there's no female representation in the men's games. Well, where is it on your, uh, for the commentators? Where where are you doing that? Where And I just thought, what a ridiculous time 
for you to decide to be a champion for gender equality when women are suddenly getting the limelight and you don't like that there aren't enough men there. Exactly. And it's it's utterly it's utterly ridiculous. And like I, I mentioned Alex Scott a minute ago, one of uh, when she started presenting, I think it was during the Olympics, wasn't it? That have just gone. There was so much criticism about her and how people didn't like her voice and how she didn't know what she was talking about. And it's like, so this is not only a gender thing, but a class thing as well. Um, and she brought this up. She was like, you know, I've got I think she's got like quite a thick kind of London or Kent accent. Um, and um, yeah, and she was like, this is it's just not all right. Like people don't do this. Like Alan, um, Alan Shearer has one of the most boring voices in the world, but he he's been uh, a pundit forever. Like, and we and we just let that happen um, because he was one of the best footballers. Whereas you know Alex Scott is one of the best female footballers there's ever been, and and she gets criticised for it. I think um, she's getting oh, she's she's doing so well on Football Focus though. I think she's getting loads and loads of of good reviews. And also, good. I don't know if any of you watch boxing, but Anna Woolhouse is an incredible boxing presenter. Um, and they're really good, actually. They get people like Natasha Jones in to, to commentate on the boxing photo. Yeah. And they're, they're so good. They know exactly what they're talking about. And they're really impressive. I did read something that, um, so I've done, I found quite a lot of good studies. Uh, Durham University study, uh, they did a whole load, they got a whole load of men and said, um, what do you think about women's sports? And there was this group of, they, they did actually find that generally it, there's a general view of, of that's a bit more progressive and people are, you know, okay with women doing sports. Um, but uh, a lot of the men said, but they should do more feminine sports. Um, and when it came to like getting women on TV for media coverage, like both uh, covering the sports they play, but also pundits and commentators, they just said it's PC nonsense. That's a quote from the study, PC nonsense, getting women on to, on to do uh, commentating. And it's just... That alongside also, uh, you know, uh, which I can't remember which um, person it was, but there was a female linesman. It was the first time that there'd been a female linesman. And the um, commentator, who I think was sacked, um, said, oh, well, women just don't know the offside rule. And this comes back to Ellie's point around umpiring and, and how women are treated. Like women should be able to. Um, go and umpire and referee football matches and not get shit thrown at them you know men in refereeing and umpiring make mistakes all the time but you know if it's a woman doing it it's because she's a woman not because she's a human being that makes mistakes Um, and I I find that super 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 frustrating one final thing because I think this one's I think this is quite cool Um, when it comes to women not bringing in crowds um Ronda Rousey, who was an MMA fighter, a mixed martial arts fighter, regularly headlined events like MMA. They were like, we don't care whether they're male, female or whatever. She was amazing. And she brought in the biggest crowds, brought in the biggest amount of money. And it just shows that all you have to do is put the right backing behind people and 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 big them up with what they do because of how good they are and they deserve it. I think- um, and she's a great example. I think you've raised a fantastic point, which I think is the crux of this entire episode, which is, and I think actually for for feminism and equality generally, which is if you have decided it will fail, then then it, everything else is just confirmation bias. You know, if if people, if the majority of people have decided that they don't, that you know, women can't do this thing, then it's just a horrific cycle, and and women won't be able, and women don't perform, or at least you decide that they haven't performed well enough. And so I think there's so much that everyone can do just to encourage more women at grassroots and then to support the professional people. I remember the massive backlash that there are only two 
athletes in the top 100 highest ranking athletes in the world. So this is the Forbes 2021 list. Can you guess what the two are? I've already mentioned one. Oh, top ranking athletes in the Forbes 100 is what you said? Yeah, only two are women. Serena? Yes, Serena Williams. It's not Serena and Venus. No, it's not Venus. Okay. The other one is Naomi Osaka, who was I was just about to ah, make. I was just saying both, yeah. But why tennis? Do you, like, is it because it gets so much more um, airtime? Um, well, there's there's still uh, pay inequality. I know everyone got very excited in 2007 when Wimbledon gave equal pay. Um, and there were two, I think, but lots of, um, lots of competitions still don't give equal pay to women, mm. men and women with the slightly insulting reason being well a the viewing figures that we've already mentioned which don't quite tie up but secondly that women play three sets and men play well then five. let them play five exactly who Why set that rule pay five well so it's also only four of the grand slam tournaments that do that so it's the it's wimbledon the us open australian open and french open where there's that discrepancy all of the other competitions they play the same amount of sets you know what i think i'd really like is to see how many sets most men's matches actually go to so are people winning 3-1 hmm. or do like I know there are those really long amazing matches which are really hmm. exciting but like how many are actually going like how many more games are men playing than women but so two things from my perspective all football matches there are thereabouts injury time and stuff are 90 minutes long 45 each way I have watched some phenomenal football matches. I've watched some horrifically boring football matches. It's not about the duration of the competition, you know, so three or five. So that was my first point. It doesn't really matter if it's going to be an exciting tennis match. It will be or it will be. You could have a really exciting three set match or a really boring five set match. And Mm. and that's not because if that made any difference, presumably you'd pay for your ticket on the way out. Right. Depending on how exciting (laughs) it was. And that's so. So that's the pay what you like. I actually quite like that. Have a pay what you like. It was. No, 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 Rhiannon, because then the women would get all the money. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. But the second one, if you just base it on how long the matches are, it completely ignores all the time and effort that has gone into it it's not the women's choice for it to be three sets that is the scoring system that has just been chosen for them they put in just as much effort the time and the money and the the dedication that it takes to get to the real top of your field deserves recognition equally to anyone else who is putting just as much effort in but i can't believe like what do you say it's a forbes top 100 and there's only two women in that yeah, Naomi Osaka only got into it fairly recently as well. So it it was one until until very recently, just Serena. So I, I think I'm right in saying um, the 2016 Olympics, uh, the female hockey final, gold medal final, that drew, I think that was the most watched event of that um, of that Olympics. That's, I mean, and that's great. Um, and, and also, so Sky are making a real big deal at the moment about netball and not just yeah. England netball, but the netball, the whole of the Super League, mm-hmm. um, which is just, I, I love, I mean, I play netball, so I love it that, that it's getting more, uh, more time. Um, but yeah, I do think, I do think there are steps being taken to make women's sport more prevalent and also just generally more minority sports that aren't out there and I think the 2012 Olympics our our Olympics in London played a big part in that well the 2012 Olympics was the first Olympics ever where every nation has brought a female at least one oh that's really interesting it's because it was London and it was the best absolutely not that I'm biased (laughs) cool all right 
Well, we've covered a lot. We have covered a lot. And I think it's a good place to wrap up. We have no doubt missed a whole load of stuff. Um, but uh, if there are things that you are interested in, there's things that you want to uh, tell us about, please get in touch. Um, I think uh, we've got some suggested homework from M. So uh, grab a glass of wine, of course. Uh, maybe do this after you've done the homework. Get out, <laughs> get moving, or stay in and get moving. Walk, run, do yoga on YouTube. Arrange with some friends to attend a beginner's class. Uh, sign up for a beginner's league and something you did when you were at school. And just give no shits, I think. Don't care that it's sweaty or not sweaty. And just enjoy doing sport. I think I've got one other thing, uh, mostly for dads, actually. Any dads that are listening, I've heard people say, oh, I really want, I really hope I have a boy that I can take to the football and I can have a kickabout with. Have a kickabout with your girls. One of my favorite things when I was little was I went to the football with my dad every week and we um, my brother didn't like going to the football and I went every week with him Um, we lived in Norfolk and supported Watford so it was a long old trek Um, but going to football matches with my dad was like a real bonding thing we still talk about football now Um, and I think yeah it's um, it's really important to do the same thing with your girls as you do with your boys yeah, I completely agree. Like my parents pushing me into karate from the age of eight has set me like set me up for life. And I just think that their desire to make sure that sport and movement and fitness was a part of our lives. And that was really important to them. I, I think it's, it's been incredibly valuable. Um, and the fact that bizarrely, my dad actually pushed us into karate because he's like, fuck this. I'm not having three daughters who don't know self-defense. So you know, that was actually the motive of getting us into into sport. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful that they did that because I, I feel that it's set me up for life. Awesome. Amazing. The Unfair Sex is not sponsored. So if you like our show, please show your support by liking, subscribing and sharing on all your favourite social media platforms. We have a Twitter, uh, which is at The Unfair Sex. Uh, Instagram is at The Unfair Sex Podcast. We also have an email theunfairassets at gmail.com so one of the things I forgot to mention in the podcast but it didn't really fit uh, at the right time was Seth Blatter, who is or was the president of the FA, he a while back said uh, something like uh, women, women's football is already about aesthetics. Uh, the, the ball is lighter and smaller for women. So for aesthetic purposes. And so why shouldn't shorts be um, tighter and smaller to make football look nicer when it comes to women and the women will be pretty uh, I then did a bit of googling because it turns out Seth Platter is an utter knobhead um, and in the 70s he was part of a uh, protest group to try and stop women from switching from wearing stockings and suspenders uh, to tights so women were saying no we want to wear tights and he was like uh, 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 absolutely not stockings and suspenders only uh, so Turns out he was a titted.